Welcome to Family Life Today, presented in cooperation with this station by Power to Change. We hope today's program will give you something to reflect on and to encourage you in your relationships. Our hosts are Dave and Ann Wilson. So I think every young boy and girl goes on a journey to find out who they are. You know, my dad walked out of my life when I was seven years old. I didn't realize in that moment, but I would spend the next 20 years trying to discover who am I? Hmm. I didn't have that foundation. Yeah. I think every person has that journey. And I thought my journey was remarkable. We've got a guy in the studio today. You talk about a remarkable journey and story of finding identity. Didn't you feel like you were like watching a movie? Yeah, just reading his book. Yes, it's amazing. Let me see if I can say his name right. Peter Mutabasi. Yes, you said it right. Peter Mutabasi. Yeah, well, your story, and it's in your book. We have sitting right here, Now I Am Known, How a Street Kid Turned Foster Dad Found Acceptance and True Worth. Mm. So I am so excited for our listeners to hear your story, but you've never been here, so welcome to Family Life Today. Thank you. It's a beautiful facility and and beautiful people, so kind that they will come to us and show us around, so we we love this place. And we had a pretty good meal. Yes. Oh, yes. So tell the world uh, what you do, and uh, of course, we want to get your story, but... You're an entrepreneur. You've got all kinds of things going on. Um, I've already mentioned in your subtitle that you're a foster dad, but don't go there yet. Okay. Start at the beginning. Tell us where your life all began. Oh, my life, where it began. I might need about a week to finish that <laughs> to go through my, my life, you know. But really, I come from a small little town or small village called Kabale. It's at the border of Uganda and Rwanda. You know, and during my time when I was born, life was different. You know, life was miserable in every shape, form you could imagine. Actually, I did not have a name until when I was two years old. Reasons are because for every 100 children were born, 60 would die before the age of two. So moms were afraid to give kids names because they weren't sure they would make it. So once I made it at two, my mom named me Habiyarimana, which means a gift given to me by God. So that's what it means. So that's kind of the world that I come from, that from birth, you mm-hmm. didn't know you make it, you know. I mean, did you do you remember not having a name or is you're too young? I was too young. I don't remember. But you, know, you were told they waited till you were two years old. Two years old. You know, I was, and people ask me, so what did they call you? Well, I was called the boy, you know. <laughs> so you can imagine for every mother in that community, for every mother in that village to be pregnant. But you can't tell people because you're not sure. Will they survive? Will they make it? Mm. Uh, and that was me. Uh, and then, of course, I think I began to realize that life was different at the age of three, four. Because at three and four, I would go fetch water about three miles away. You know, think about at four years old with the other four little-year-olds and five-year-olds, you trek through the village to go get water because your family did not have clean water. And you did this every day. You know, so think about like I never had a childhood because your childhood was spent looking for those small family needs that you had to meet at the age of four. So I'd go get water and that was for drinking. But then the rest would, you know, to use for our clothes or washing utensils, would use water that animals drink from, cows and mm. anything else. You know, so at the age of four, I could do all that. But also my, my dad wasn't there because sometimes I think in, in some tribes, you know, men don't get to participate in today's 
life of our family. Or he was working somewhere else, so he wasn't at home in, in, in so many ways. So my life as a kid, you know, that's all I can remember, just misery. When it came to food, we never had enough food to eat, mm-hmm. you know. We could not have beans and potatoes because that was too much food. We would eat beans today and then eat potatoes the next day. So we can spread the little we have for a little longer. So that was really my, my life. I had my, my mom and my dad, but they never told me to dream. No one ever said, Peter, one day you'll be a teacher or dream to be something because there was nothing around us that really gave us the glimpse of hope. You were just surviving every day. Absolutely. And it wasn't just my family. It was everyone around you, you know. So you're surrounded by hopelessness. But all you think is, is that. There's, there's nothing else you could imagine. You know, I think at age, age four, that's when you begin to realize, you know, my dad is different from other dads, you know. I would visit other families, then I would see that their dads are different from my dad. And here's the reason why. My dad was the meanest human being that I knew. My dad was mean in every shape, form you could think of. Towards me as, as, a, as a son, but also to my mother as well. So I saw the worst rage you could think of. You know, as kids, we work so hard to please our parents, you know. You go fetch water, you bring it, and you hope your dad is going to say, that was good job. For me, I never had one kind word from my dad. This is what I had from my dad every day. You'll never amount to anything. You're good for nothing. You're stupid. There's no hope for you. And I wish you were never born so I never had to feed you. Oh, Peter, like those are just death words. Curse words. Exactly. Every day. Every day. You say that to your siblings too? And to my mother as well. Every day. Every day. So think about you're an age of four and that's all you hear from your father. How do you dream? How do you hope this tomorrow for you when someone says, I wish you were never born so I don't have to feed you? So that meant the food we had sometimes was at his mercy. Like He chooses to buy that food. So as a kid, there's no way I could hope. There's no way I could dream to have tomorrow because today was worse enough that I did not want to go through it the next day. But you knew it's going to be the next day, the next week. Every next single month. day, just repeat, repeat, repeat. So you must have thought nothing of yourself. I think in my head, too, I trained myself to not even not think. even be hopeful. Yeah. And like you didn't want to dream or think about that there could be a better life for you. For me, no, no not at all. Was I, your mom I, loving? Yes. Our mom was the, the most loving human being that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, she did the best she could. But, but when you're, you know, when you're getting abused every day, but your mom gets the same thing, you know, it's... It, it's hard to protect your little ones when you cannot protect yourself. You know, uh, to this day, I can remember that our mom spent more time in our room because she was hiding from my dad. So I, I know that she loved us. I know that she did everything she could so we could make it in life, you know. But at the same time, I think as the oldest kids, we, you know, who go through that, we want to protect our mothers, but we're too tiny, you're too yeah. small to do so. And with my dad's anger, you just didn't know when, what time. It was any time, any day. What did you feel about him? Did you hate him? Did you resent him? Or was that just normal because you knew nothing different? No, I hated him. You yeah. know? But as I think as a little boy, you, you, what do you do? You know, to me, he seemed like a giant in every shape, form. And there was nothing I can do. But I hated him in every shape, form uh, you could imagine. Mm. So what happened? I mean, it sounds like 
this is a horrible story that's never going to get any better. Oh, no, you know. And of course, I think as we get older, we get to understand abuse even deeper, yeah. you know. So as I got eight, as I got, you know, nine, I, I understood that, hey, this man is likely to take my life one day. And you're just waiting. When would that happen? You know, but at 10, one day, I think I woke up and I said, look, to give my dad an opportunity to kill me is not fair to me that I would rather give it to someone else. You know, to me was I would rather die in the hands of another stranger than my own dad, Mm -hmm. because to let my dad kill me is giving him joy. So I am not going to do that. So one day I woke up. And I went to the bus station. I'd never been 20 miles away from my village. And I went to the bus station. I asked the lady, I said, which bus goes the farthest? This is like three in the morning. And the reason why I asked which one, I wanted to make sure that I go as far oh, as I could. Yeah. But he could never get to me. So I got on that bus and I was so worried that my dad was going to come. So every car that passed by, I would hold on that bus so hard and hide. It took about 16 hours and I ended up in Kampala. But every hour I always thought he is right here and he's going to find me hmm. and he's going to kill me. But I made it to Kampala 500 miles away. Yeah. And you're still thinking he's going to find you. Yes. That's the fear uh, when, yeah. you know, when our abusers instill that in our, in our mind and body that even when they're not there. Uh, we did your uh, mom know you were going to leave? No, I did not tell anyone. No. So now you've run away. You're in a new city you've never been to before. How Ten are years old. Yeah, how are you going to survive? And I don't speak the language. Let's oh. speak a different language, you know? <laughs> so I, I'm in this city. But, I, you know, where the bus stops, you know, in Africa, the bus stops all stop in one spot. So you, you have hundreds of people. So I saw other kids who looked like me. They were cleaning up. They were gathering things. So I thought, you know, it's better maybe to introduce myself or uh, get to know these people. And one of them, for some reason, he saw me and he, he just said, hey, hey, come over, you know, hang out with us. And and right there and then I knew I had found family, you know. Mm-hmm. They were dirty. They were they spoke different languages, but we would communicate in some ways. Did they have parents? No, they were also street kids, mm. you know. And that's when I realized that, oh, okay, my life is going to be a street kid. And that's when I became a street kid. And but it was better than your beating? Oh, I mean, it was hard and harsher. At home, I was dreaming of, you know, having another day on the streets. You know, you're dreaming. Will I have a next hour? Because you had to survive hour by hour. Hmm. So what happens? I mean, here we are. You're on the streets. You're 10 years old. There's still evil going on in your life. Absolutely. Yeah. So on the streets, I think this time I had resigned on life. Like in some way, like if I die today, I don't care, mm-hmm. you know. But as three kids, we learned how to survive. We knew to be productive. We knew how to really make ourselves useful in some way. And our job was to always help people who needed help or who were lifting things that were heavy, especially food, because it was easier to steal a banana and a potato while you're helping someone than take it. Mm-hmm. So they knew, hey, I gave you cheap labor. I get a reward. But if you're not rewarding me, I'll reward myself. I'm going to steal one. And that's how we survived, by really stealing. And we had a, a system. I steal bananas. The next street kid steals potatoes. The next one steals yam or the other one cassava. So at the end of the day, we'll have enough food to eat under the bridge. You know, we would not take food to cook. Only food we can roast hmm. because we would burn trash. And in that way, that's how we make our meals at night. Uh, and that became became my life. So I'd been on the streets for one year and a 
have. And on the streets, you know, I think I was seen more like a stray animals. You know, I was garbage boy. No one ever called me by name ever. No one for four and a half years I lived on the streets. No one ever asked me, what's your name? Never. I was a dog. That's how they refer to us most of the time. So I think I believed it, that that's who I was uh, in, in a sense. You know, for four and a half years, yes, life was just miserable every day. I think I slept on average an hour every 24 hours. Why? Because it was safer to be awake than be asleep. Mm. So most kids will die while they are sleeping. If you sleep under the car, if they drive away and you're under, then it's the end of your life. If someone is to harm you, it was always if you're sleeping. Or sometimes people would pour acid or fire or any thing that was on fire, they would, you know, throw it on you. So in order to be safe from it, you had to be alert at all times. So that was really my life to be alert and sleep in just an hour. That's all you could have. So here you are, 14 and a half years old. No one calls you by name. You're surviving one day at a time, not even sleeping. And then what happened? So one day I get to see one gentleman wearing glasses, khaki, and spoke English. And as a street kid, I was like, that is my target. So I was like, I'm getting food, either he wants or not. Could you speak any English? Yes, I could. You know, as street kids, we learned how to learn other languages, and English was one of them. So I follow him as he buys bananas. So as soon as he bought, I say, can I carry this to your car? He said, stop. He said, what is your name? So that rattled me, like, wait a minute, you want to know my name? Why would you want to know my name? Because for all these years, no one had ever asked me my name. But also it scared me because for anyone who was kind, always it came with abuse after. So mm-hmm. in some way, him asking me my name made me more alert, more danger, danger, run, run, yeah. run. But before I could take it, he gave me something to eat. You know, and he left. And so he came back and next week he did the same. And I think for me, what made me even always look for him or anticipate his coming was because he called me by my name. You know, he remembered your name. Yes. And it was the only thing that really I looked towards for every Monday that he's a stranger that would call me by my name because, you know, for all these years, uh, no one called me by my name. What did that mean to you? You're somebody? I don't know how to explain that, yeah. you know, when all life has been stripped of you and in the midst of that, someone calls you by your name. I think for all these years, I thought I was less of a human being yeah. because I didn't have a name or I wasn't referred to as a human being. You know, we refer to people by their names, I know, and because it's going on, you know. Uh, I was called Peter, and that's who I was known. But for all those years, no one, no one ever uh, took the initiative in some way to say he's a human being. To so, acknowledge you as a human as being. As a human being. Yeah. Uh, so um, that's all I looked for on every Monday between 6 and 8 and in the evening for someone to say, hey, Peter. Mm. Uh, and that's all. <laughs> you have dignity. Yeah. I see you. All that in a name. In a name. Wow. Which makes me, like, I know this is, it makes me think of people that are living on the streets who we don't look at them and we don't acknowledge them. We pretend that they're invisible in some ways and you probably felt invisible in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I can guarantee you for any of that street person, if you ever say, say, what's your name? See the reaction they'll give you. Because no one ever I'm gonna do that. bothers to ask them their name, yeah. you know. 
Uh, what's your name? Hmm. So, so what happened? this man ends up. What happened? So he feeds me for one year and a half because he, you know, uh, I think the fourth week I kind of knew where he drives, what he, <laughs> car he drives, when he parks his car, what time he comes, what he buys. Like I knew to the T what he does. So I'll be waiting every Monday. So he fed me for one year and a half. Did you know? he do that with many of your friends or just you? It was me, but he would give me enough to share. You know, he would what always he give, give me you? extra. He'd give me bananas or he'd give me uh, cooked rice or he would give me roasted uh, cassava is, is an African root that we love to eat, you know. So he would, he would give me nuts, you know, uh, roasted g-nuts. We call them granuts. That's what he would give me uh, or every time he came. And so he did that for, for an, a year and a half. And one day, he, he I don't know, we were sitting and uh, just waiting for him to give me something to eat. He said, like, hey, Peter. If you have an opportunity to go to school, would you love to go? Would you like to go to school? You know, and I'm sitting there laughing like, what an idiot. Sorry to say that, but <laughs> I'm kind of like, you, I'm a street kid. Yeah, I am staying Like, what would you think of that? Think about when you've been reduced to nothing, to below humanity, and someone offers you a school, it's beyond what, you know, in, in my mind, it was more of like, wait a minute. To Americans, it's what I would say. I would say both of you. Would you like to go to the moon? Because they're about to send people to the Would you like yeah, to go? But you're laughing. Do you know why? It's not going to happen. It's Never. not like it's not going to happen. It's not something you go to bed dreaming yeah. about, you know? Right. You don't work for NASA. You're not into space. So in some way, when he said, would you love to go to school? That's when I was like, that's for human beings who have a place to be, who dream. I am not that kind, you know? So I did not pay attention but he asked several times. So finally I said, you know what? I'm going to say yes. So he never have to ask me again. You just, know? Just stop just, it right just there. Just stop yeah. it. But also I think I didn't want him to stop his food he was giving me. So I was like, oh. what can I say yeah, that he would love to hear so I still get my food and get him off my back? So I said, yes, absolutely. And so he said, okay. So he came back and a week later he brought me clothes, but he made a mistake. He asked me to go take a shower. Mm. As a street kid, I didn't bathe. I mean, I waited for God's rain to come. That's when I would shower. So for him saying, go clean up to me, I felt like he was being arrogant. Like, don't you know where? Like, where would I go? So I said, no. So he came back to his place. I said, go clean up. Clean up was and I, I understood what that meant because I can go wash my face and come back. So I went to the store, cleaned my face and came back and he gave me clothes to wear and he took me to school. But before he took me to school, he said, hey, when we go to school, it's a boarding school and you're going to have lunch, dinner and breakfast. I mean, literally, I was like, that can't be true. Like, <laughs> How many meals were you eating a day? I mean, we ate when we could at three in the morning, you know. Uh, it was rare to have a real meal. It was more of how do I survive? Hmm. If someone was lucky, it would give it to you and you get to share with your other. So it wasn't something you count on. At this point, did you know this man's name? Did you know anything about him? No, I didn't know. I did not want to know his name. Yeah. Still I, suspicious? Suspicious. Yeah. You know, you're kind, so you're going to hurt me. So I'm going to stay as far as I could, you know. Yeah. But towards school, I kind of knew his name. Uh, so then I... Uh, once he mentioned food, I was like, okay, okay. I didn't, I think from then I didn't really think about school. I was about food. That can be true. Food, food. And finally he came and took me to school. And as we drove, I asked him, why me? Like, there are, there are more than 2,000 kids on the streets of Kampala. Why me? And he said, Peter, I just want to be faithful. But I did not understand what that meant. 
I want to be faithful. Okay, you know. And so we went and it was lunchtime. So they gave me lunch. So then I waited for dinner because he had said there'll be dinner. <laughs> so it was more like two years, like that can't be true. Can't Is be. this real? So then I waited for dinner and dinner came. But before I left the streets, I told my street kids like, hey, if you don't see me in the next 24 hours, make sure you kill him or you do something harmful. Because I thought he's going to do something bad. Right, right. So I made sure that I left back up somehow. Yeah, you know? to even get in a man's car. Yes. Drive, that's dangerous. Absolutely. So I had to come back that night. But this is like 15 miles away. So I had to walk back at night to let them know that I was okay. Because they would have harmed him if I did not come. They were your family. Exactly. But then they said there was the breakfast. So I went back. <laughs> so I, you know, I go back on my walk. I don't know how long it took. You know, and actually when I arrived, it was breakfast. They were going for breakfast. So then I went in. I waited for breakfast. So I, in the process of waiting for next meal, next meal is what made me stay longer. It wasn't like I wanted to be a teacher. It wasn't like I loved school. To me, the process of waiting for the meal is what made me stay one day, two day, three day, mm. a week. Then the, th- the second week, that's when I thought, wait a minute, for me to keep getting the food, I need to go to class. So now I knew the trick wasn't like I wanted to learn. No, it was if I need to keep this process of getting food, there's something I have to give in that I don't like, and that's meaning to attend class. So that's how I managed to go to school. I'm listening to this thinking like, oh, Jesus already knew your name. Yes. He had already called you and he had put people in your path mm-hmm. because he had a hope and a future for you. And he has that for all of us. There's not one person that he doesn't know by name and love them and have something for them. We want to thank Dave and Ann Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families, the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Interesting in mentoring a younger couple or being mentored yourself? Check out Power to Change's mentoring initiative designed to help you avoid those pitfalls we all can fall into. Email radio at powertochange.org.au or go to our website, families.powertochange.org.au, under the Helping Couples tab to get started today. Until tomorrow, God's blessings.